you'd like to uh, turn to James chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be reading from uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through to the end of chapter 2, verse 26. If you've got your Bibles, please follow along. Otherwise, please follow along with me on the screen behind. James, being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes, What good is it, then, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food... And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning as we open up this passage in James... Lord, we again ask that your spirit would be our teacher. But Lord, the words that, uh, that I have to say this morning, Lord, will be words which are taken by your spirit, imparted to our hearts and to our lives, done so with power that brings about transformation, a transformation that is, I guess really uh, brought about through a, really un- a real understanding of what it is that you are actually saying through this passage this morning. Lord, each of us here in this place today have ears to hear. We have eyes to see. These the physical things but help us to have ears that hear and eyes to see things of faith and things of eternal value. For we ask it in for Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you certain? Are you certain in your heart today that the faith 
that you profess to have is indeed a faith that can actually save you. Is the faith that you profess to have a faith that can actually save you? You see, a person can say that he or she has faith, has faith in God. But they can be completely deceiving themselves. I mean, wouldn't it be dreadful having gone to church all of your life, having proclaimed to have had a faith all of your life, a belief in God, and yet come to the end of your life here on earth And Jesus says to you, depart from me, for I never knew you. See, there's a faith that does not save. A faith that does not save. In fact, that is the whole emphasis today of James chapter 2, verses 14 through to 26. The passage we're going to be spending the next couple of weeks on. We're here in this series from James entitled The Mature Disciple. And that is the subject for today, a faith that does not save. Three times in this passage in James, he points out that there is such a thing as a dead faith. A faith that is useless a faith that is worthless, a faith that is barren. It produces nothing. We see that in verses 17, for instance, where James says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. We see it again in verse 20, where James writes, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And again, in verse 26, he says, For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. In fact, the same thing is being applied in the, in the opening verse of this passage in verse 14. For the sentence structure in the original language goes something like this, and it assumes a negative response to James's question. He says, If a man claims to have faith, but his actions don't correspond to it, such a faith can't save, it, save him, can it? And of course, James assumes the answer to be no. It can't. Now, the fact that James actually sort of mentions or even sort of addresses this particular issue points to the fact that there would have been those amongst the people who he was writing to that would have had that kind of faith. The kind of faith that he is talking about, this dead faith. Now folks, this morning I cannot stress to you enough that you know what a true and saving faith actually is. I cannot stress the importance and the significance enough today to you to, for you to know what a true and saving faith actually is, what it's all about. I don't think that there's anything of, of more greater importance in all of our life 
than to have considered this question and to have a right response to this question. So when, the, when James comes to, the, to, the, to, the, uh, to, to this, last, this uh, section beforehand in chapter 2, he's speaking about God's judgment. And, and the Bible tells us that God's judgment is reserved for all who do not have a saving, living faith in Jesus Christ. And James says that the only way to escape this judgment is for us, is for a person to be united to Jesus through faith. For some of James's audience that he's writing to, this would not have been the case. They did not have this kind of living, saving faith in Jesus. They weren't united to Jesus Christ. And so therefore their faith was, was a faith that, that they were deceiving themselves by. I mean, these people generally thought that they belonged to the kingdom of God, but they were kidding themselves. And folks, let me tell you, there are many, many people today in churches right across our nation who are meeting this morning who are in that same boat. And it's not just, you know, it's not just centered in this nation, but right throughout our world today. People who claim to have faith, and yet the faith that they have is indeed a dead faith. A faith which cannot save. A faith that does not guarantee eternal life. And sadly, today here in this building, there may be people who consider that they have a faith and yet that faith will not and cannot save them. In order to make clear what a saving, a genuine saving faith is, James uses four illustrations in this passage. I'm going to take a couple of weeks to go through this. James uses four illustrations and... and, and before we sort of get into those illustrations, what I want to do is I kind of want to, um, I guess, point out just how James arranges these illustrations because this is going to kind of determine how we, how we kind of approach these things for the next couple of weeks, all right? His first two illustrations in this particular passage the, uh, are, are things which are uh, they're negative examples, all right? Negative illustrations. In other words, what faith is not. Okay, and he uses the example of the person lacking food and clothing in verses 15 through to 16. And then he also uses the example of the demons in verse 19. Okay, two negative examples. What faith is not? And then he uses two positive examples. What faith is? And he uses the example of Abraham in verses 21 to 23 and the example of Rahab in verse 25. Okay, so I need you to get that sort of picture in your mind first of all. Four illustrations, two positive, two negative, two positive. Okay? All right. Now, the two middle illustrations, okay? Illustrations two and three, if you like, and that is the illustrations of the demons and Abraham, they have a Godward focus, a focus pointing towards, or a focus pointing towards God, all right? Whereas the, last, the first and last illustrations, the illustrations referring to the person who is lacking in clothing and food, and also the illustration of Rahab, they have a manward focus. Now, when it comes to our faith, our faith operates on both a vertical and a horizontal plane. 
Okay, we have a faith with God, but that faith with God is worked out on a horizontal level with our relationships with people around us. And for James, how, because he's sort of put this, this Godward focus, these illustrations um, speaking about a Godward focus, right there in the middle of these four illustrations, it speaks about you know, God at the centre. God needs to be at the centre of our faith. It's this relation of faith that, towards God that takes centre stage, if you like. And what James does in, 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 in terms of this, um, these illustrations is he gives a positive and a negative illustration towards God and he gives a positive and negative illustration towards men. We're going to focus on those ones towards God today, our Godward focus. All right? Now, it's clear from the passage that James wants to point out that this genuine faith... This real faith, a faith that results in salvation, is one which produces in us certain works or deeds, if you like. Now, if you've been travelling with us through this particular um, series in James, you'll know that in chapter 1 we saw that a person who, uh, who's received God's implanted word, his life-giving word, God has implanted that word within us, will not just be a hearer of the word, but will also be a doer of the word. Okay, or in other words, to put, to put it in other words, he will put what the word says into action in his life. Okay, that person will obey God's word. And the life-giving word will produce in them then the righteousness of God. Okay, James says. In other words, what the, what the word will actually bring about is the word will actually produce in us a changed character and a behaviour. Right? Change character and behaviour. Now, can I just say that it's easy for a person to say, I have faith. Verse 14, James says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says, He has faith? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I have faith in God. I believe there's a God. It's easy for a person to say that. On the other hand, a person might say, well, you know what? You know, I'm, I'm a pretty good kind of a person. You know, I'm, I don't kill people. I don't, you know, I don't do really, really nasty things and horrible things. I'm, I, I do some good works. So I, I have works going for me. What James is saying here is that faith and works on their own are not enough within themselves to bring about salvation, to bring about a united, uh, to bring us into a united relationship with Jesus Christ. Faith on its own, faith on its own, or, or works on its own. All right. Now, some of you are thinking, "Oh, hang on a minute. I don't know if you're right there. Just bear with me. All right. Just bear with me, because this is the tension that James wants to bring about in this passage this morning." Because I know right now in a number of your minds, you're thinking, hang on a minute, doesn't Paul say something about justification by faith alone? Well, we're getting there. All right? We're getting there. Now, the person who says they have faith might indeed have orthodox beliefs. Okay? Genuine orthodox beliefs. They might say, yeah, I believe in God. Look at verse 19. You believe that God is one. You might believe that Jesus is the divine son of God. You might believe that the Bible is the word of God. 
great, James says. But you know what? Even the demons believe that. Even the demons believe that. They recognise God and Jesus. You've only got to look in the Gospels and see Jesus' account with the devil. For instance, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and how the devil, he actually, he actually preached the word of God to Jesus. He used the word of God as a means to get Jesus to follow what he wanted him to do. So the devil knows the word of God. You'll see examples in the, uh, in the Gospels too where Jesus actually confronts people who are actually possessed by demons. The, uh, the demoniac in, in the, Jer- the region of the Gerasenes. You know, Jesus comes onto the, uh, to, to the shore after crossing the Lake of Galilee and as he gets off the, uh, the, the boat, this man comes running out, of the, running out of the wilderness, screaming and yelling and says, well, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, what have you got to do with us? They know who Jesus is. They know even that Jesus is the Son of God. So even the demons believe these things. But would you say that Satan and demons are people or are, are, are creatures that are saved? No. Of course they're not. And so a person who says they have faith and may have orthodox beliefs does not guarantee that that person is saved. Does not guarantee that that person has salvation in Jesus Christ. Notice that James actually adds the, uh, the, little wor- the little, two little words at the end of that uh, verse and he says, and they shudder. They believe that God is one, but they shudder. See, God produces in them an emotional response, but that emotional response is one of fear, of absolute terrifying fear. So their belief, if you like, in inverted commas, gives no peace because they do not add to their belief a love for God in their knowledge of him. See, every Jew, every Jewish person knew the Shema. Okay? Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Every Orthodox Jew knew that because that in itself was a test of Jewish orthodoxy, that you could say that the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it doesn't stop there. For it goes on to say this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is what the demons did not do. And so their belief of God was insufficient. It could not save them. It was a dead faith. And it is the same for a person who only has an, a head knowledge of God, an or, you know, orthodox beliefs, a head knowledge of God, but it has not translated into a love for God. So that is the, the, the negative illustration that James gives here this morning. He says, if you are someone who had just has this, this head knowledge of, of God and, and you say that you know God and you believe in God, but it's just, uh, it's just lip service. 
it's not backed up by a true, genuine love for God, then James says that is a dead faith. And in contrast to the negative example of demons, James then goes on to point out the positive example of Abraham. And we see that in verses 21 to 24. I was just going to go look at my watch then, but I've forgotten my watch today. You're in trouble, aren't you? (laughs) Preacher who gets up into the pulpit without a watch? Oh, you've got to worry about that. (laughs) Thanks, Amora. Amora wants to get out of here before lunchtime today. <laughs> so in contrast to the negative example of the demons, James has the, the positive example okay, of Abraham. All right, Now, those of you who have just been you know, sort of waiting for me to get to this whole aspect of this justification by faith alone, all right, here's where we get to it. Okay, So, right. so before we look at this, I want to, we need to clear this up. Okay, and that is this. A casual reading of these verses might lead one to think, all right, that James is contradicting the Apostle Paul, all right, when it comes to how a person is saved. Because to some, these verses could be viewed as teaching a works-based salvation, particularly when you look at verse 24, which says this. It says, You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Whereas you know that Paul clearly states or clearly teaches that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Romans chapter 3 verse 20, Paul writes, For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight. Okay? By works of the Lord, no human being will be justified by God. He goes on to say in verses 21 to 24, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. Okay, so a righteousness of of God has been manifested apart from the law, okay, and a person is justified by grace as a gift. Galatians 2, chapter 16, Paul writes this, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And again in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Paul says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works that anyone might boast. Okay, so Paul very clearly says that a person is justified by, in other words, brought into a right relationship with God purely by faith alone, not by doing works of the law. Okay, all right. Now, from a proper understanding of the scriptures, we also know that God does not contradict himself. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God is the unchanging God. We sung about it this morning, didn't we? So if God is the unchanging God and God is the one who inspired all the scripture, then how can we reconcile Paul's understanding of faith with James' understanding of faith? And that's what we're going to get to here in this, uh, in this illustration of Abraham. All right, this is what we need to keep in mind. 
Okay? So we know that in Genesis 12, God first appeared to Abraham and he said to Abraham, I want you to leave your, you know, I want you to leave your land, your country, your family. I want you to leave all that behind and I want you to go to a place that I will show you. I want you to follow me and go to a place that I will show you. And Abraham trusted God and obeyed. He followed God. And in return, God promised to bless Abraham and make him into a great nation. And through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. You can go back and read that a little bit later after the service. The problem was is that Abraham and his wife, Sarai, were childless. She was barren. She could not have any children. And so it comes to Genesis chapter 15 and Abraham's got this going through his head and he comes to God and he says, God, you know, are you sure? Because we, we still have got, we haven't got any children yet, Lord. We, you know, we're not getting any younger. Sarai's not getting any younger. I'm not getting any younger. And in Genesis 15, God appears to Abraham again and he tells Abraham, he takes him out of the tent and he says, Abraham, look up into the night sky. And if any of you have ever been out west and you've looked up into the night sky at night, you've seen the amount of stars up in the sky, haven't you? They're just brilliant. The, the, the sky is just smothered with all of these stars. And, I, and God says to Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And we read in verse 6 of Genesis 15 that Abraham believed God. In other words, Abraham had faith in God and that and, and faith in his word that God would keep true to his promise. And it says that Abraham, that, that faith, that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. That his faith put him in this right relationship with God. In other words, it was a genuine saving faith that Abraham had. We see that in verse chapter. See that in verse twenty-three of chapter two, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. So, how did God know Abraham's faith was real? How did God know that his faith was real and that he was right? in crediting Abraham's faith to him as righteousness, as putting him in a righteous standing with God. Apart from the fact that God knew Abraham's heart, of course. It's simply this. The proof was in the pudding, so to speak. You ever heard that adage, the proof is in the pudding? Yes? All right. The proof of Abraham's genuine faith is seen in Genesis chapter 22 which James mentions here in this passage, where he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? See, God had come to Abraham and he granted Abraham and Sarai a child, a son, Isaac. Isaac was the child of the promise. Isaac was God's promise in the flesh. God had said to Abraham, I will make you into into, into a great nation. Here's the beginning, Abraham, right here in this boy Isaac. Now, I want you to take Isaac up on this mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. What? But what did Abraham do? He obeyed God. 
And he took the boy and he bound him and he placed him on the altar. And just as he was about to plunge the knife into the boy, God's angel stopped him. But what that showed is that Abraham truly indeed trusted God. He had a genuine faith in God, a faith that was real. This, uh, the ultimate test of his faith was to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son and Abraham passed the test with flying colours. Abraham's faith resulted in him obeying God's command and his works, the work of him attempting to sacrifice his son, vindicated his faith. It showed that his faith was real. And that's what we read in verse 21 and 22, where it says in verse 22, you see that faith, Abraham's faith was active along with his works and his faith was completed or made mature or brought to completion by his works. Are you still with me? Yes? Good. Because that's what James is making really clear here in this passage. A genuine faith, a faith that is effectual towards God, a faith that is capable of placing us in a right relationship with God and thus guaranteeing our salvation is a faith that's genuineness is proved by our works, by our obedience towards God. It is our works, if you like, that reveal the true character or quality of our faith. Now, I could do it up in a diagram, but I won't. I'll just just say it briefly like this, okay? You can say that that faith produces salvation, okay? No, it doesn't. Not on its own, okay? Because you don't know if that faith is an actual genuine faith or not. Works produces salvation. No, they don't. We've already seen that through Paul. Faith... Uh, Sorry, works produces salvation. But then we get to faith and works produces salvation. No, they don't. Faith produces salvation plus works. You with me? Yes? Faith produces salvation plus works. A genuine saving faith. So we we are saved by faith alone. But if it is a genuine faith, then that faith will result in a changed behaviour and attitude in our lives. A changed character. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Okay, after Paul has said that it is by faith that you are saved, okay, by grace you've been saved through faith, he then goes on to say, For we are his, that is God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, that we should have those as a characteristic part of our lives. Does this sound like a bit of a university lecture this morning? I hope not. But this is so essential, folks. Why do you think James is actually saying to to his readers or making his readers, his audience, aware of this particular thing in their lives? Why do you think James is saying, do you think James is just wanting to to bash people around the head, around the ears with, 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 with the truth? No, it's not just about that. 
It's because James, writing to his audience under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, okay, so this is really God through James, is, is wanting people to understand this because he loves us. And he wants everyone to know what a genuine saving faith is because he does not wish that anyone should perish. As you sit there in your seat this morning, God wants you to truly examine your heart and your life to see whether or not you truly have a genuine saving faith. And this saving faith will issue in a changed character, a changed heart and changed lives. Lives which produce the works of righteousness which God has prepared beforehand for us to do and to walk in, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. Now let me say that there will be times, many times, where we will sin, where we will, we will fall short of those standards. We will not do those works that God has prepared for us to do because of this sinful nature within us. Abraham himself struggled. I mean, when, when there was a famine in the land, Abraham didn't trust God. Instead, he went down to Egypt and he lied about his relationship with Sarah to the Pharaoh. Abraham and Sarah decided to take matters into their own hands when it came to the fact that, boy, we haven't had a child yet. Don't know what God's doing. Let's see if we can take matters in our own hands. And so Abraham had a child with Sarah's servant, Hagar. So we see that we don't always get it right. Abraham didn't always get it right. But the point is this, is that although we will have these, these, this sin and this, you know, we will succumb to temptation in our lives, the true test of whether, is, is whether or not the overall direction of our life is towards holiness. That there is indeed evidence of these works in our lives. I love this quote from Spurgeon. I put it up on Facebook this morning for those of you who are on Facebook. I don't know if you can read that or not, but Spurgeon says this, I believe the holier a man becomes, the more he mourns over the unholiness which remains in him. Hmm? Is that where your heart's at this morning? That as God is working in your heart and life, as the, the holier God is making you, the more that you mourn over the unholiness in your heart and in your life. I truly believe that, I truly trust that it is, that that's the case. That for each and every one of us, we mourn each day over that unholiness that remains and we long to be rid of it. Folks, is that the path that your life is on today? Regardless of your sin, is there evidence of a saving faith in you today? As you think about your life, as you examine your life, is there evidence of these works of faith that God is producing within you? Because if there's not, then can I say to you this morning, in all humility, but in all, all honesty, that you need to seriously consider where you stand today with God. Because you may just be one of these people sitting in this, audience, in this auditorium this morning thinking that you have a genuine saving faith, but in fact your faith is dead. 
It will produce nothing except Jesus' words at the, end of, at the end of your days where he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Let's pray. Father, our prayer this morning is that as we consider this genuine saving faith in Jesus Christ, and as we see that, that it is easy to deceive ourselves thinking that we have a faith and yet the faith we may have can be truly a dead faith. I pray that each of us this morning will be able to examine our hearts openly and honestly before you under the leading and direction of your Holy Spirit and that, Lord, that we can truly at the end of this service know in our, in our hearts with great assurance and certainty that our faith is indeed a genuine faith because of the works that it is producing. I pray for anyone here this morning who does not have that certainty, who may in fact, as they sit here this morning, have, a, have an absolute fear, a terrifying fear of God, like the demons have, Lord. I pray that that might bring them to a point of, of opening up their hearts to you and saying, help me to love you beyond just a head knowledge, but to have my heart truly transformed and changed. Lord, as we go about this week, may we continually seek to walk in those good deeds that you have prepared beforehand for us to do in Christ Jesus. Help us to be people who demonstrate the, the saving reality of our faith to those around about us, pointing people to Jesus for, so he might be glorified in us and through us. Amen.